You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Episode 107 of that one time on tour is brought to you by the band Sales Up. Sales Up is a new rock post-hardcore studio project from Bellingham, Washington. Their music blends a modern edge and sound with an atmosphere that harkens back to the pioneers of the past. The dynamic guitars, heartfelt screams, catchy melodies, and honest lyrics will leave you singing along as you feel every word. Currently, Sales Up is finishing their debut EP that will be released this summer. For more information on Sales Up, you can check them out at salesupband.com and on Facebook and Instagram at salesupband. Now here it is, their new single, A Home for Strays. I lost a guiding light But you still prejudge Crimson, no! 
welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little a little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work. But we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life. Uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe Grind Podcast. Hey, this is JB from August Burns Red, and you're listening to That One Time, One Tour. Everybody out there in podcast land, what is going on? As always, this is Chris Swinney, your host for that one time on tour. This is my podcast where I get to sit down with somebody in or around the entertainment industry and have a stellar conversation. Last week was unbelievable. My guest last week was Eric Smelly Sandin from one of my favorite bands of all time, No Effects. And you guys just devoured it, man. It was crazy. We've been killing it on the charts. Smelly was the best guy ever, and I cannot wait to have him back on the show. So if you guys haven't checked that out yet, go check it out. It's episode 106 with Smelly from No Effects. But this week, it's episode 107 with my buddy JB Brubaker from the awesome band August Burns Red. They have a brand new record that just came out called Guardians on Fearless Records. It's so good. JB is such a shredder. We talk a lot about guitars and everything, and we talk about some cool stuff that I wasn't really that aware of. He's a big punk rock fan. And uh, they actually, I knew that they've been covering, August Burns Red has been, had been covering Linoleum by No Effects for quite a while live, but they just did this like quarantine cover where uh, they did Linoleum by No Effects and Shane from Silverstein and the Lead Singer Syndrome podcast sang on it and it is awesome. So go check that out. I'm sure you could find it. It's on YouTube, Google it, whatever. But uh, JB and I had a really, really good conversation. We talked about you know, growing up in Pennsylvania and getting into punk rock and getting into metal and learning guitar and the whole thing. And it, it's, it's a really cool conversation. And I think you guys are going to love it. Before I get into that, it's like week 10, week 11 of the, of the pandemic lockdown, the coronavirus. I hope you guys are doing well. I'm doing well. I have a bit of a toothache. I'm not really sure what it is. I looked at it. It doesn't look like a cavity. I, it, I'm not sure what it is. 
But uh, I'm a little freaked out to go to a medical facility, whether it be a dentist or a doctor or whatever. But that might be something that I'm going to have to do very soon. Because as I sit here talking to you, I'm having a little dull pain in my in one of my molars. So uh, we'll see what happens. I'll, I'll tell you, I had no cavities my entire life ever until I hit about 33, 34 years old. And I went to the dentist because I was having some problems in there. Like, oh, you've got nine cavities. And it freaked me out. I had never had a drill in my mouth or anything. And I got all nine of them filled at the same time. And uh, I asked the dentist, I was like, you know, is, is that normal? Do you just get older and some stuff happens? And he said, well, did your diet change? And of course, no, my diet had not changed. He said, sometimes when you hit a certain age in your 30s or mid 30s, that like your body chemistry changes and it can, can cause some some tooth decay. So, uh, yeah, so I went from having no cavities the first like 33 years of my life to having nine. And of course, now I'm 41. I haven't had a cavity since then. And I think maybe it's time. I mean, it feels like either I have a new cavity or one of my fillings might have like fallen out or something. I don't know. It just it's it's real touchy and it's 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 sensitive to cold water and everything. So I might have to get that taken care of. I am a little scared because of the pandemic. Muncie, Indiana, which is where I live. Uh, we just made the New York Times today, which uh, usually would be a good thing, but we made the New York Times because we are the fourth fastest death rate from COVID-19. That's not a really good thing. So I'm a little freaked out to to go to the dentist, but I might have to take the adventure and and go in there and get something done to my tooth. But right now I'm okay. Right now it's just a little, it kind of bugs me, but uh, we'll see what happens. And I will keep you guys abreast of my tooth situation and uh, also the situation here in Muncie, Indiana, the fourth fastest growing death toll from the pandemic. It's a little scary. Uh, I'm not doing lessons in person. I am doing remote guitar lessons. It's a little different, but I actually enjoy it because the kids actually listen to me a little bit more when we're on Zoom and Skype than when we're just doing other stuff. Uh, if you guys are interested in some Skype lessons, bass lessons, guitar lessons, ukulele lessons, mandolin lessons, whatever you want, Hit me up, TOTOTpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll do it. Because now I've got I've got some students in Brazil. I've got students in Scotland, students in Australia. Anywhere in the world, we'll set up, we'll do a time, and we'll take care of it. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Okay, so what else is up with me? I'm writing a lot. I, uh, I was energized by my new project, Southern Gothic. I, I did this, a song where you guys could kind of collaborate with me. And uh, it took off, and it's on Spotify now. My buddy Pedro from uh, the band Amberetta and Shot Clock, he sang on it. And uh, I'm going to do some more songs with Pedro. And I'm currently writing some songs for maybe an EP. So uh, check out Southern Gothic on Spotify and tell me what you think. But uh, that's about it. I'm also really, really digging Letterkenny, <laughs> Canadian comedy I'm watching on Hulu. So uh, if you haven't checked that out, go ahead and check it out. The humor is pretty good. I spent a lot of time in Canada, so it reminds me of my buddies in in The Reason, uh, this band that I toured with. I, I'm trying to get them on the podcast, but they have not come on yet. We will see what happens in the future. Uh, time to get some business out of the way. My sponsors, Sales Up Band. Go check them out, salesupband.com. They're really cool. They're out of Washington. You should check them out and support them. James Devlin, he is an illustrator and artist out of Australia. He's done artwork for all your favorite bands. Uh, check out Jamers, J-A-M-E-R-S, design.com, and commission James to do some art for you 
and your band or your company or whatever. Rockabilia.com. They've been a sponsor on this show for quite a while. They're the one-stop shop for everything licensed by the bands, merchandise, whatever you want. The bands are getting paid. It's 500,000 unique items on their website. It's insane. So uh, thanks to Frankie and everybody over at Rockabilia. So check them out, rockabilia.com, for anything you want from your favorite bands. We have a new sponsor this week, and I could not be more excited. My buddy Gary, Gary Cooper, right here in Muncie, Indiana. I've known Gary for so long. He has a new company where he's making guitars. It's called partscasterconcierge.com. And uh, I did some reviews for some of the guitars that he built, and I got to say, they were amazing. I actually have one of the guitars here in the studio with me. I've been cutting some tracks with it, and I love it. Uh, it's kind of like, uh, I, he calls it a jazz caster. It's like kind of like a ja jazz, I don't know. It's, it's just the coolest thing in the world. But uh, if you guys aren't familiar with parts caster kind of guitars, um, it's basically a way to build your own guitar. You can pick a body style you want that works with a bolt-on neck, you get whatever pickups you want, whatever hardware you want, and then you piece it together. So he can like, you know, give you this like kit to where you can build it for yourself, or he's doing custom guitar and bass builds. It, it's awesome. I mean, it's, it's the coolest thing ever. And his guitars are so great and they just feel so amazing when you're playing them, man. I, I had to have one and I've got one here in my studio right now. So he makes the bodies like one at a time, like it's specific to what you want. You can go as deep as you want. You can go custom with a guitar or you can just buy the stock stuff from him and you can put it together yourself. It's really cool. Most of the quality bills, you can, you can do the build for under a thousand dollars. The unfinished bodies, if you just want to buy are only 125 bucks. So you need to check out my buddy Gary over at parts caster concierge and He'll take care of you. He's on Instagram at PartsCasterConcierge, or you can go to PartsCasterConcierge.com. The website is under construction because it's a brand new company, but I want you guys to support him. So go on over to PartsCasterConcierge.com or on Instagram at PartsCasterConcierge. Thank you, Gary, so much. We're going to have Gary in on the program in the future to talk about building guitars. I thought that would be a cool thing for you guys to kind of see what it's like to go through that process of actually building an instrument from scratch. Okay. So that is all of the sponsors. Make sure you're following us over on patreon.com forward slash T O T O T podcast. Get involved on one of the financial tiers. I want to give a shout out to our Patreon producers, Bob Foster out of Hemet, California, John Exton from Stafford, England, and Dewey Halpas from the Pure Pleasure Podcast all the way out there in Portland, Oregon. If you guys sign up and become a patron today, you're going to be getting all kinds of bonus content and you get to sleep at night knowing that you're helping out your favorite podcast. Also, starting next week, ad-free early episodes. It's just... The it's just the interview with the guest. That's all it is. There's none of this bullshit you're hearing right now. So sign on up over there. Get on the Patreon train, patreon.com forward slash T-O-T-O-T podcast. Now, before we get into this week's radio segment, I do want to give a shout out to Sarah over at Road Dog Supply. Uh, Road Dog Supply is her company where she does merchandise and all kinds of cool goodies for bands and, and companies. And Sarah is an old friend of mine from Canada. We actually did some touring together 
and uh, she wanted to come on board and help the show out with some art for the episodes. So if you've noticed that the art has changed a bit, my buddy Will, that used to be the art director, he is taking a leave of absence. He has a lot of stuff going on in his life, and uh, I wanted him to take care of that and not have to worry about doing my art every week. So maybe in the future we'll collab and get Will back to do some art. But for the time being, Sarah is doing the art, and she's doing an amazing job. And you're going to be seeing a lot more of it from all the coming, you know, the coming weeks, the different episodes. So give it up for Sarah over at Road Dog Supply. That's RoadDogSupply.com or on Instagram at RoadDogSupply. Okay, this intro is getting away from me, but we do have a radio segment today. So cue the theme music. Radio, radio, radio. Radio, radio, radio. When I've got the music, I've got the place to go. Hey Chris, this is Chris from Black Cat Manor in Freeport, Illinois. Just wanted to give you a shout out on your new segment. One of the albums that totally changed my life was Glass Jaws Worship and Tribute. Uh, the song I would definitely pick is Eight Dose Mill. And just wanted to let you know that uh, we all love what you're doing and keep doing what you're doing. And I will definitely keep listening and keep promoting. Have a good one.
So yeah, there it was. A little bit of glass jaw for you guys. Thank you so much. Friend of the show, Christopher from Black Cat Manor, one of my favorite bands that sponsor this show all the time. Thank you so much for letting us know about the record that changed your life. A little bit of glass jaw. I love glass jaw. Uh, back in, I wanted to say 2003 on Warp Tour, I think I watched them every single day. Daryl is a is a madman. I got to get him on the show. He was on uh, Dewey's show, Pure Pleasure, I think. Yeah, so go back and check that out. But hopefully we'll get him on the show soon. But yeah, thank you, Christopher, Christopher, for calling in and letting us know about the record that changed your life. That is it for the intro. I am now going to jump into my conversation with JB Brubaker from August Burns Red. Make sure to pick up or stream or whatever you do nowadays. Their new record out on Fearless Records, Guardians. It's pretty awesome. And check out their Linoleum cover, their No Effects Linoleum cover with uh, Shane from Silverstein and Lee Singer Syndrome on lead vocals. So this is it. You guys are going to love it. Me and JB chatting away. For about an hour. Here we go. And I'm on the line with JB from August Burns Red. How are you doing today, man? I'm pretty good, all things considered. How how are you? <laughs> I'm doing well, all things considered as well. Yeah. Right off the right off the bat, you know, I know you guys have a, a new record coming out on Fearless. It comes out April 3rd. It's called Guardians. It's your eighth full length, which I'm sure you guys are all stoked about, and then this virus thing hit. How is uh, the coronavirus kind of affecting the rollout for the new record? Well, we had a cool tour set up with Killswitch Engage that the uh, album was going to get released on, and we only got to play two of those shows before everything was postponed. So that was a disappointment, and uh, who knows where you can go buy it when it comes out on April 3rd, because yeah. I don't know what stores are going to be open or certainly indie record stores and stuff like that, places that would carry it in this day and age aren't going to be open. So um, it's been tricky to uh, navigate, but there was talk of trying to push the record back because of the coronavirus. And uh, we decided to just move forward with it as planned because uh, I know a lot of people are at home. And if you uh, don't have a kid occupying all your time, then you're, you're probably pretty bored. So new media is good to consume and we're releasing the record as scheduled. And I think that, um, people who, most people listen to music, uh, on streaming services and stuff anyway. So I think a lot of people will still be able to hear it. Yeah. It'll just be more difficult to go out and buy. Yeah. You mentioned, uh, people out there that they don't have kids. You know, I, I've got two toddlers. I've got an almost four year old and a two year old. And I know that from Instagram, you, you're a dad now as well. How's that treating you? Yes. It's cool. Um, it, it's a complete life change. Um, I was used to uh, being like a full-time band guy all the time, yeah. um, spending all of my free time writing music and uh, doing August Burns Red. And now that I have a child, um, my priorities certainly have to be rearranged a little bit, but it's, it's a really enriching experience. And I, I totally understand um, the highs of being a parent and, and of course, you know, some of the lows as well, but uh, <laughs> being a parent while under quarantine with a toddler, as you know, completely is it's hectic, man. It's 24 seven. You got to entertain them all the time. There's no babysitting. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's a lot of um, trying to balance, you know, entertaining uh, my son with, with my wife while we both try to remain our own individual humans, you know. 
How old is your son? He's two. Okay, yeah. So you're you're in the same boat as I am. My son is right. being potty trained for a couple of years, and my daughter. We just planned what you know. We're stuck in the house. There's nothing going on. She's showing interest, so we might as well do it. And right before I got on the phone with you, we had our second like successful potty on the potty. Oh, congratulations! <laughs> we haven't breached that topic yet with with my son Beckett. So um, I think we we're planning on doing it in the summer. Yeah, and. You know, maybe we'll move it up for for the same reason uh, you did. There's there's not a whole lot else to do. So well, yeah, I'll good tell, time to do it. I'll tell you, my son. We we tried when he was around two, two and a half. It didn't really work out. And then when he turned three, it just kind of happened. It took one day, and he was into it. Now my daughter watches him all the time, and she always tries to act like she's going on the potty anyway. So we're like, you know, girls mature faster than boys. We'll just give it a shot. And so far, so good, man. Well, that's a relief, man. No more diapers for, or yeah. almost, almost, yeah, almost, maybe, almost. maybe in a couple months, <laughs> in, in a couple months. Yeah. If we can find diapers with the thing, way things are going, man, that might be good to try to get her out of them now. No kidding. No kidding. Jeez. So, uh, you know, with this virus thing, so many bands that I know, like they're, they're out of work. They're not doing anything. What are you trying to do to like, you know, take up your time when you're not hanging out with your toddler or your wife? Are you, I know you guys have a new record, but are you writing stuff or you, what are you doing musically maybe during the downtime? Yeah, I'm tinkering around with some writing. Um, it's certainly a good time to be creative because I don't want to just sit idly and I do enjoy the creative process. So I've been, I've been doing some stuff sort of for fun. I was working on a metal cover of the, the Westworld theme. Oh I yeah. If you watch that show. Yeah, hell yeah, man. Um, but I, I love that. I love the music on that show. So I was, I've been kind of meaning to do something with that for a while. So I was messing around with that for a couple of weeks. And, uh, um, we do these Christmas song covers every year. So I figured this is a good time for me to work on something, you know, work on a Christmas song to release around the holidays. And, you know, what, whatever, if, if I get inspired to try to write some new original August French Red stuff, I'll, I'll certainly take advantage of that as well. But we've been very busy doing a lot of press and rolling out the record, like you said, and get, getting ready for, for Friday, which, you know, which is when the album drops. So, you know, you guys worked with longtime producers, Carson Slovak and Grant McFarland. And from what I read, uh, you guys did it in two separate chunks. Can you kind of take me through kind of the pros and cons of doing it that way? Sure. Um, we've never done a record in two different sessions before. And this, this came to be because we had uh, a 10 year anniversary plan for a record called constellations. And there was a lot of touring planned around that. We went, you know, we did Australia, Europe and North America um, as sort of different legs of that tour. So because that, touring sort of split up our time we needed to get as much done as we could while we weren't on the road so our bass player uh dustin and i write the we write the music so we had eight songs done in uh around april of 2019 and we spent a month just tracking all the guitars and bass and doing uh the samples and stuff for those songs basically getting as much done as we could then we went on tour for a long time and came back um with a few more songs um, to record and the rest of the band joined us and we did, you know, vocals, drums, all that stuff in uh, August and September. Um, and then went back on tour immediately and, you know, did the Australian and European legs of that tour sort of while we were mixing the record and mastering it and going through all of that. 
when you're when you're doing it that way, I guess you know <clears throat> you said you and your bass player write the music. You guys tracked all the guitars and the bass stuff. Do you get to sit with it for a while, and then when you come back, is there anything maybe that you would like to change? Because I know that when you play. You know, say you put out a record and then for 10 years you play those songs live, things kind of evolve and change over time. Were you able to maybe, you know, add some bells and whistles or things that maybe you wouldn't have done if you didn't have the time? Yeah, certainly for the first batch of songs we did. Um, and I would say that was actually uh, an advantage we had with, with Guardians. Um, we were able to, we knew what we had, we knew what we didn't have as far as completing the record. So we knew what we wanted to write. Um, to sort of fill out the full album. Um, and also, after sitting with the songs for a while, it gave um, our singer an opportunity to think about what he wanted to do more for on the first batch of songs. And we even uh, did some, some little structural tweaks here and there with a couple of the tracks, um, cut some stuff out, added some different layers to some of the songs. Uh, it, it was definitely, it was almost like, the first go through was, was, was like the demos for the songs. And then yeah. even though they were the actual tracks, um, it, it, it sort of allowed us to treat them as demos. So when you're talking about songwriting, you know, for the new record or just songwriting in general, how, what is your approach? Do you just kind of jam out riffs and then you guys put it together, like, like you and your bass player together or the full band, or do you come in with like full songs? It's definitely full songs. Um, Dustin and I tend to write solo and then, you know, we'll come up with something we like and then build around it. And sometimes we'll put our heads together and bounce riffs off each other and see if we, if we get stuck, you know, see if the other guy has an idea of where things might, might need to go. But, uh, for years now, it's, it's been a very in sort of individual writing process. Um, we don't get together as a band and formally rehearse before we go to the studio anymore. That sort of stopped maybe a decade ago. Yeah. Um, it, it, none of us in the band are able to just jam out cool, complicated metal riffs. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's yeah. like we have to just sort of sit there and, and have them happen organically while noodling around. Um, it, it would, it would be very boring to sit and watch either Dustin or I, try to come up with the material. <laughs> well, that's one thing I'd like to talk about. You know, I, I teach guitar for a living. I, <clears throat> I went to school for music theory, performance guitar. I, I kind of come from the punk rock world. I played in a band yeah. called the Ataris. I, I was in, you know, punk rock's kind of been my, my thing for a while, but I've always been a metal guy too, because I love the musicianship. When I yeah. listen to bands like August Burns Red and even Kill Switch or bands kind of in that whole genre, there's there's so much shredding going on. Are are you a theory guy or is it just feel? It's all just feel and sound. I wish I was a theory guy at times because I think if I was, I could I could write solos and stuff much more quickly. I yeah. think I don't yeah. know, but I I don't know what I'm doing as far as theory goes at all. And I I've always been the kind of player to just write what I think sounds cool to my ear. So, so if I'm, I'm listening to one of your songs, I was listening to one earlier. I can't remember the title of it, but you were doing a lot of like harmonic minor and a little bit of Phrygian. Like if I said that it just, it's Greek to you. I mean, I, I have no idea what Phrygian is. Okay. I, I've heard, I've heard of the harmonic minor scale. Um, and I know that we play a lot of our stuff's minor, so I, I, I get that, but I'm not, and I, you know, I, after playing for so many years now, I, I, I know 
you know, what fret shapes work and stuff with, yeah. with what key I'm in within reason, but I don't know. I don't understand why it works. If you know what I mean? Do you, do you know how to play like a, a natural minor like box? Like an Aeolian, mm. Aeolian mode? <laughs> no, <laughs> because well, what you guys use Phrygian quite a lot. And a lot of the metal bands do all, all Phrygian is, is just that, that normal minor, like natural minor scale with the second degree flatted. So if you're playing, okay. if you're playing like, you know, if you're in C or you're in D and you go up to the first fret, you know, that's the, the, the sharp of the note that you were playing before. Whereas if right. you were in actual minor, you would go up a full step instead of a half step. So you, you guys do that quite a bit. I just wondered if that was like a conscious thing or if it's just sound for you. It's all sound, man. I wish, I wish I could say, it. well, actually I don't, I don't know if I wish it, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Basically <laughs> it, it is hindering sometimes because I, I remember before I got really deep into theory when I would just jam, I mean, I can, I can still jam, but like before I would just play whatever sounded good or felt good to me. And now I'm always trying to fix problems and I've got all these numbers in my head and it's kind of hindering, you know? Yeah. Hey, I'm curious. A question for you. Um, okay. When did you start? When did you play in the Ataris? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, when, yeah, when, uh, when did I yeah, start? When? What, uh, what years were you in the Ataris? I got in there like uh, around 07, I think. And then I was in there okay. until 2010, 2011, something like that. After the peak gotcha. of the whole boys of summer crap. Oh, that's fine. I <laughs> I was like the fifth um, the fifth guitarist. So it's like if you go to the Wikipedia gotcha. page, it's like an insane amount of people. Right on. I saw the Ataris a bunch over the years, and I one of the first shows I ever went to is it was before you were in the band, but I saw the Ataris open up for uh Wagon and the Vandals. Oh yeah, the truck yeah. in uh in Philly. So, you know, I have fond memories. I came up as a punk rock kid and was into probably a lot of the bands that you were touring with and stuff. Um, or at least into when you were even before you were yeah. in the Atari. So, well, th that's a nice segue because, uh, we have a mutual friend, uh, Mr. Tom Petta from big wig. He wanted me to say mm. hello for him to you. Nice. And, yes. I love big wig. And he was telling me that he got to go hang out with you. I think you guys were on tour with Silverstein and, uh, he got to go hang out with you when you guys were in Tennessee or somewhere. And he wanted me yes. to ask you, about some of your early Pennsylvania bigwig shows that you got to go to when you were younger. <laughs> yeah, I've, I, I've, I've seen bigwig um, a bunch of times over the years, and I, I've seen them from you know places like like the Truck or the TLA in Philly to stuff as obscure as like a random barn in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, <laughs> yeah. like out, out in the sticks. Yeah. Um, that, there's one show that uh, that show is probably a little bit more interesting to talk about than, you know, the, the typical club shows. But, um, I, I was going, I, I, I saw them, it would have been maybe 2002 and they were headlining a show that a local band from the Harrisburg area called the commercials. I mean, they, they did some touring. I don't know if you're familiar with them at all. But, I've heard the name. I um, think. Yeah. Yeah. They were, a uh, you know, a punk band from our area. It was their record release show and big wig, I believe it was an off day show for them on a tour they were doing with newfound glory. Okay. Because I saw them the following night at the chameleon club in Lancaster, um, with newfound glory. I think, I hope I have that right. But if not, I, I definitely saw them at, at this barn. And I remember very distinctly as they started their set, their drummer poured lighter fluid all over <laughs> his cymbals yeah. and lit, lit his cymbals on fire to start the show. And I thought it was the most badass thing. And I, I actually got a drumstick from the drummer. Um, it wasn't at that show, but 
at one point, one of the times I saw a big wig, I had a, I had a big wig drumstick in like my collection of, you know, precious, precious items. That's awesome. That I had for years. Oh, and one other cool big wig story that I'll tell. Okay. Um, there was this, this festival called, uh, skate and surf fest It happened in Asbury park, New Jersey. Yeah. I played skate and surf a couple times before it kind of went nice. away. Yeah. Yeah. It was so fun. I, I loved that festival. And, uh, I saw big wig there maybe 2002 or 2003. I don't remember, but, uh, they, they have a song called sellout. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And they asked for a circle pit. They wanted the biggest circle pit we could do. And boy, did we make a big circle pit? The, the whole floor was just this massive circle pit. And I remember <laughs> we talked, my friends and I talked about that for years to come, like how that was the most badass big circle pit we'd ever been a part of. That's awesome, uh, man. I, I, I'll never forget that. Yeah. It was, it was really cool. <laughs> Well, that's, that's really cool, man. And like, you know, it's, it's cool that we have mutual friends. Cause I know just in preparation for this, I listened to your appearance on Matt Carter's podcast and oh, sure. I, you know, we're on the same network for podcasts and Matt also, he plays in the band Emory. I used to play in a band mm-hmm. called Brazil and we were on their, on Emory's first ever headlining tour in 2004. We were main support. We were on fearless, which is what you guys are on as well. There's so oh, right many, on. so many weird coincidences, but, uh, on that podcast, you were talking a lot about gear and whatnot. And since I am a guitarist and, you know, I haven't toured for a while, you were talking about, you know, amp sims and, and, and different ways of, of, you know, sending DIs to the board and everything. What are you using now when you're touring? Is it, is it similar to what you were talking about back then? Yeah. I imagine it would be, I'm playing, um, an axe effects, which I, I imagine you're, you're familiar with, but for, for anyone who isn't, it's, it's basically a preamp and think of it as a computer, I guess that fits, that's, you know, a two space rack. Um, and within this, preamp you can there there are tons of different amps i mean probably i I don't want to say hundreds but there's maybe a hundred or 200 different amps that you can choose from and they're all modeled after real amps um and the the technology that goes into this shit is so above me but they (laughs) yeah they make they make digital they're able to digitally um, replicate amps now. Yeah, um, yeah. So I have this amps, uh, this XFX that I play through, and I don't even use a cab on stage anymore. Um, wow. We just send the DI to the front of house, and we send it to our in ear mix. Um, and I, <laughs> I'm I'm so modern now that I'm not even. I have a pedal board, but I don't even press my pedals. I don't control <laughs> my my XFX myself anymore. I have it all programmed using midi that uh happens that gets sent from our computer yeah so you know we're playing to a click track and there's a a midi track set to the click track that changes my amp to the clean channel or kicks my delay on and all that kind of stuff which all takes place right inside the axe effects i mean it it does all the effects simulation as well so i was a big gearhead but now i'm (laughs) super dumbed down into just this two unit box. Well, I, I remember like the first time that I saw anything kind of like that, as far as like controlling stuff by MIDI, uh, I'm friends with the guys in thrice. And I can't remember, I think this was maybe 2004 or so, or 2005. I went and saw them in Cincinnati and I was talking to Dustin and he had this guitar that it was actually the MIDI changed the tunings on the guitar for every song when the tunings would change. 
So yeah. like he didn't even have to tune his guitar. It didn't matter what the guitar was in. It would just, because of the MIDI and because of the sequence, it would change the tuning digitally. And I just, yep. I just remember that blowing my mind. And like I said, you know, when I was touring with the Ataris, you know, we had, you know, our, I had a solve tech and a Mesa boogie triple rectifier and these big four twelve slant cabs. And it's just, <laughs> it, it didn't seem like that big of a deal back then, but now I just, I've got friends that are going to Europe and Asia carrying one of those little tiny, you know, orange things that fit into a suitcase, you know? Yeah. And that's one of the reasons I switched because we started, I, I had a pretty elaborate rig myself where, you know, two amps and a eight space rack that was jammed full of uh, pedals and effects processors and blah, blah, blah. And I just couldn't take that around the world when we were touring internationally. Yeah. And I needed something simpler and I, the learning curve was, was great, but I have it figured out and everything's dialed now and I have all my songs programmed and it's really easy to travel now. When, when you're in the studio, I, I take it you're probably using big tube amps and all the pedals and trying to dial everything in. It almost, I mean, the studio versus live is always kind of this different medium, but do you have a little bit more fun now in the studio because you can kind of geek out on the gear stuff? Um, <laughs> yeah, there was a time, yes. And I will say on this last record we did, all of our amps are are digital on the record, okay. um, which we didn't, this is the first record I think we ever did where we didn't use a tube amp to, uh, to record our rhythm guitars. And <laughs> it's funny because we started, uh, we used a Kemper, which is similar to an Axe FX, Yeah, but, uh, I've used a Kemper. I've, I've never used the, uh, the Axe FX, but I have used the Kemper. Okay. Right on. Well, we, we used a SIM from the Kemper of our, real amp and cab setup from a previous record as sort of our starting <laughs> point for getting the rhythm tone of, of guardians. That's awesome, man. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's just, it's, it sounds great and it's so fast and customizable. And I, I don't know, it, it, it's, I guess less fun. There's less knobs to turn and stuff, but, um, well, and I would think too, like labels aren't giving out the budgets that they used to give out for, for records. So, I mean, if you can save some time and have a, killer like kick-ass tone that you've already spent a bunch of time trying to get it, it's a time saver right absolutely it's it's all about efficiency we want to be playing more than we want to be tweaking if, yeah. if at all possible so you know with the amp sims and everything when you're at home doing the demos you're talking about you know doing the the christmas songs and everything have you ever tried the tune track stuff i have not I, I've heard of that. I, I'm not familiar though. It, it's really good. They've got this program and they don't sponsor the show or anything. I've just been using it lately for demos and whatnot, but they've got this program called easy mix and you can actually buy guitar tones. And uh, I got like this pack and it's got uh, a signature tone, like two or three signature tones from Adam from kill switch. And it's just, oh, cool. I mean, it's, it's pretty affordable if you just need good stuff at home, but you're probably using the Kemper at home. Correct. I'm using my Axe Effects at home. Oh but, yeah, the Axe Effects. So I write and no, you're fine. Our, our other guitar player is a Kemper guy. The the way I demo our stuff is so archaic and like I, I don't record actual demos. I tab everything into MIDI. Um, okay, yeah. And just assign sounds to the to the tab, and that's why I've always done it. And I 
it, it makes it really easy for me to share the songs with the other members of the band and they can just read the tabs and I don't have to sit down and show them how to play anything. It's all just there. So yeah, when I had uh roadie from protest, the hero on, I was asking him about, you know, doing demos. He's like, Oh, we just tab everything out with this program. <laughs> I, yeah, I've never messed with funny. that before, man. Yeah. I've been doing it since college. When I, uh, when we wrote our first record, I wasn't allowed to have a live amp in my dorm. And I, I wrote everything on an acoustic guitar and tabbed it out in, in this, you know, program called Tabit. So I've just kind of, expanded upon that and gotten better at the program over the years and it's it's my uh it's like the the daw i'm good at and it's not even a daw (laughs) (laughs) awesome well i want to talk about a little bit of history about the band i know you guys formed in 2003 lancaster pennsylvania there's a lots of lot of amish people in lancaster correct that is correct yeah did uh I mean I'm kind of I guess a little ignorant to the the Amish community. I live in Indiana and a couple hours up north near Bern we have a huge Amish community. But uh did you ever like see any Amish kids coming out to shows back in the day or, or is that totally just like, you know, not right for them to come out to shows? Well, no, I I'll say that I didn't and it would have been very unusual, but um as as you may or may not know, Amish go their their kids or the teenagers go through this uh Romspringer. Right? Called, yeah, Romspringer. Yeah, where they're sort of allowed to go off and experience the world for a short amount of time and they can either come back to the community, which from what I understand, ninety-nine percent of them do, or they can leave the community at that point and pursue a new life, but they'll be shunned by their family and they'll kind of have to start on their own fresh with that, which I'm sure is terrifying as, yeah. you know, a sixteen year old kid. So no, I've never seen an Amish person that any of our shows or any shows I've been to in general. Um, but you, you see them around all the time in the community, you know, tying up their horse and buggy at the, at a post at the grocery store. And <laughs> yeah. like, they, you know, they shop, they shop the same place as we do. Well, I, I saw this thing on the internet, you know, going back to the whole coronavirus thing, somebody posted a meme that was like, has anybody made sure the Amish are okay? <laughs> I was just talking about that with a, with a bunch of friends of mine last night on a, a group like we were doing like a group FaceTime hang. Yeah. Cause we can't get together. And we were talking about how scary it will be if, if coronavirus gets into the Amish community because they're still like having weddings and doing their thing. Like, um, it, it would, it would sweep through there quickly. I think there's yeah. definitely not a lot of social distancing going on in the Amish community. You know, growing up in Lancaster with the community being as large as it, as it was with the Amish, you know, the Amish community, did you, interact with them at all did you have friends that were in that community nope i didn't have a single amish friend and my interactions were limited to me basically working at the local grocery store and occasionally checking out a an amish person at the cash register um definitely definitely wasn't there wasn't a lot of uh intermingling of you know their circle with the secular world. I just always wondered how that was. Cause I had a friend who had a job for a while in the summertime. He would drive up to burn and pick up like the guys that, that, you know, worked and did construction or roofing and everything at the Amish community and drive them down to where I live to wherever they worked Cause they couldn't drive. And he got to be very, very close with them. And like, they would give him cheese and like meat and stuff that they had. And I, I just <laughs> right always on. wondered if like, when you were a kid, if there was any kind of intermingling, but I guess there wasn't then. In my case, there wasn't, but I'm sure that I'm sure there are exceptions to that. So, you know, 
what influences kind of got you to to where you were at with the band? I know you were talking a lot about the punk rock stuff, but were you always into yeah. the metal side as well? No, I didn't like metal at all until later in life. Um, so basically all the bands that influenced all the bands that I liked, I never listened to. Yeah. <laughs> I, missed, I, I missed that wave of metal. Um, and I, I, I started getting into it in probably 2003, 2004. And it was more like I went from punk and got into hardcore. And then I spent a few years in hardcore before I got into metal. Yeah. Um, I hated screaming for a very long time. And that was sort of the hurdle I needed to get over to get into the, to get into the genre. Um, but there were bands, you know, like big wig, um, who, who's they're sort pre- of, they're pretty heavy and they've got, a, they've got a lot yeah. of metal going on, you know, for sure. And I liked, I liked the fat, like the faster, the better is, is, is how I felt about, um, uh, as I was like getting more and more into punk, like I wanted the, I wanted strung out and, uh, the good riddance and, you know, stuff like that. Like yeah. I got into the, the bands that started to sort of blur the lines a little bit between punk and, and hardcore metal. And, uh, and then of course, uh, Finch, what it is to burn was like a huge record for me. And that had full on screaming that I actually liked. And that sort of yeah. opened the floodgates for me to get into a lot more screaming music, which eventually led me to where I am now. So you guys got the band going in 2003, you signed to solid state in 2005. That, that seems pretty quick. Like, like what was the, what was the rise? Like, did you guys just start playing a lot of local shows? Like how soon was it before you actually started like touring? Um, yeah, I have a good story about how we got signed. <laughs> I would dude, I would love but, uh, to hear it. I'm very interested. Yeah. I, um, I'll, I'll get to it in my, I'll, I'll give you a quick little synopsis of, of what we were doing. Um, <laughs> okay. Locally, we, we, I was in college. I was a, a junior, I guess, when the band started getting a little bit busier, certainly not touring yet, but we were um, starting to get a little busier. And the my whole world became going to shows and music. I stopped caring about school, and all I, all I wanted to do was August Burns Red. And I started putting on local shows at, um, at our American Legion Hall in Lancaster. And through those shows, I would get us on, I, I would book the show and have August Burns Red open. And I, I got in with a couple booking agents and I would get to book these national tour packages that, that would come through. Um, and it sort of opened the gates for us to do some networking. And I took all the money that I'd make on those shows and I'd reinvested in the band so we could buy, you know, newer gear, got our first van, start buying some merchandise, all that kind of stuff. And then, um, Actually, I shouldn't. This, this was more like 2003, 2004. 2005 okay. is when we actually signed. But um, in 2005, there was this website called HXC MP3, which was, you know, no different than a site like Pure Volume or something like that, where you could just go listen to bands. Bands uploaded their music and you could listen to it. But it was a little bit more, um, it was just a pretty basic website, but it was it was popular in you know, the hardcore music scene and yeah. bands like the chariot kind of came out of that. Um, and we had two songs that we uploaded to HXC MP3 and I, uh, there, there was a chart like that showed the, you know, the top 40 songs that are getting like top 40 most stream songs or whatever. And I 
made a Winamp playlist with links to our two songs that we had on there. And I just let it play in the background on my computer all day and all night, all the time <laughs> for, you know, months. Yeah. And I, I accrued, like we accrued a fair amount of plays um, as a result of this, which got us on the charts such that the A&R, uh, A&R guy from Solid State, Jonathan Dunn, who signed us, discovered us because our songs were pretty high on this uh, HXC MP3 website because I was streaming our own songs so much. <laughs> and that's how he discovered us. And we ultimately signed our, our first record deal as a result of that, which I, which I think is funny. People are like, how did you get your break? And it's just like, well... We kind of like cheated our way into it. <laughs> yeah. Well, when I, ha- I had Brad from Chiodos on and we were talking about pure volume and that's kind of how they rose to fame and mp3.com and all those websites. And I just remember with my first band in high school, this band called Chronic Chaos, when Napster came out like in 99, 2000, we would take our songs and like upload them, but we would change the name and we would say like new unreleased, no effects song. But like in the, in the, like the ID tag in the, in the file, it would say our name and our website. And we got so many people that checked out our band cause they, they got tricked into listening to our band. That's so smart. That that's smart. I, I love that. <laughs> well, and I think that, you know, you could call that cheating, but you guys have the chops and you guys have made quite the career out of it. So I, I think work smarter, not harder. That's what I tell everybody. I suppose. Yeah, we, we got lucky. We, I will admit we were pretty terrible back then and, uh, we're, we're, we're much better now, but the songs that we ultimately got signed on were, were pretty trash. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you guys did your first full link thrill seeker on solid state in 2005 what was what was like the anticipation for that? Did they think it was going to do as well as it did? It's hard to say. I don't really remember what the expectations were. Um, we had it came out in November of 2005 and we had all quit school and were ready to tour full time. And we had two tours on the table um, for that fall. One was a tour supporting Haste the Day and the Chariot, who are bands on solid state. Yeah, yeah. Hey, the, the, the days the, from right here in Indianapolis, man. Yeah, I know. Oh, yeah, I, I know yeah. those guys. Nice. Um, and then the tour we ultimately took was with uh, Barrier Dead and Terror, <laughs> which <Wow. laughs> our, our reasoning was, you know, we we could have taken the the safe tour, which was the solid state tour, and and play for people who would already um, probably like us, sort of that built in audience that would appreciate us. Yeah. But we wanted the cred of touring with hardcore bands, um, in the secular world. We didn't want to be immediately pigeonholed into the Christian music scene because we were on solid state. Yeah. So, um, we, we decided to take the hardcore tour and it was, it was an awesome first, uh, I guess first go around. It was, it was a great experience. We learned a lot from the bands we were on the road with. I mean, I learned some, uh, the most basic things like how to stretch my guitar strings from Doug <laughs> from terror, like yeah. just b- backstage, like basic stuff like that. Um, I, I, and, you know, we eventually got to tour with haste of the day and the chariot later anyway. So it, um, it, it wasn't like we missed out, but I think that that was a cool uh, way to start our touring career and just, we we wanted we wanted to be with the people who might not think that we were a cool band. Like we wanted to win people over versus just playing for people we knew would like us. 
Yeah, I had a, a couple years back, I had my buddy Scott from Zayo on the show, and he, we were talking about the whole Christian kind of music thing. You know, me growing up in Indiana, it was always a part of, you know, I've always been in secular bands, but we've always played with a lot of Christian hardcore bands, Christian punk bands, Christian metal bands. I we, All the bands that we would play with on the secular side, the, the Christian bands that would play with the bands on the secular side, I'd always ask them, like, you know, what shows do you like playing better? And they're like, well, we could go play a church and make decent money and, you know, just preach to the choir, quote unquote. But if we come <laughs> here and we play these kind of dirty punk rock clubs, we might get a couple kids that would have never heard us before. So I kind of I respect you guys for taking that tour and not just taking the easy route. Right on. Yeah. It, that that was definitely like at, at the time and I won't, you know, I'm I'm sort of in a very different place in my life now as far as, you know, religion and stuff goes, but at the time we were thinking playing to the secular market like if we're trying to spread the word of Christ, yeah. like we should be doing it in not not doing it at churches, we should be doing it to the people who might actually not know about that. You're just spinning so, your wheels if you're at a church because all those people are already converted, right? Exactly. Yeah, that, that was certainly the thought process uh, back in the day. So you guys were on Solid State for a long time. You kind of had your meteoric rise, you know, to being one of the bigger bands in that scene. When you, you know, you had six records out and you make the move to Fearless, what kind of was the thought process behind that? Because it seemed like, Solid State was doing really, really well for you guys. What was the whole the deal with going to Fearless? Yeah, Solid State did a great job, and and no hard feelings. We still have a relationship with that label and and respect the people there, and and are very fond of our time there. But I think the move was was simply a trajectory thing. Yeah, um, yeah. Fearless was trending up. Solid State was sort of spinning its wheels. A lot of their big bands had, you know, gone elsewhere, and. We wanted, we wanted fresh people on our on our on our band. We wanted new people marketing us and new ideas and new blood. So we had a good offer from Fearless, and we took it. and I and I'm I'm grateful we did because Fearless has been an awesome label to work with. They have some really smart people there who have definitely um, sort of taken us to a different level than we were when we were just with Solid State. I mean, talking about that that level, you know, the first record that comes out, Found in Faraway Places, 2015, you guys get the Grammy nomination. That had to blow your mind, right? Yeah, I still can't believe it. I mean, that, that was crazy. I I remember the morning that I found out, I was sitting, um, I was in my, in my bunk. Um, we were in Lawrence, Kansas at the Granada Theater. And it was probably like... 10 in the morning or something. And my wife called me and she doesn't call me very often on tour. We're, we're both not big. Uh, we don't like talking on the phone much. We'd rather just text throughout the day. But yeah. so my phone rings and I see it's my wife. I'm like, Oh, my wife's calling there. There must be like something must be going on here. <laughs> yeah. And like, it's, it, this is a little weird. And, uh, and she goes, Hey, did you hear the news? And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? She's like, you guys got nom- nominated for a Grammy. I was like, what? <laughs> I couldn't even believe it. And, and, uh, you know, it was cool that my wife got to break that news to me. And I, uh, it's, it's a moment I will definitely never forget. So you, did you guys go to the Grammys? We did. Yep. We, we were able to go and, uh, it was a really cool experience. Flew out to LA. Um, two of my sisters and my parents came with, my wife came with and, uh, I don't know. It was, it was rad. Definitely a surreal moment you never expect to, to experience when you're 
you know, playing in your crappy metal bands. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I didn't do much research on it. I just saw that you guys were nominated, but who actually won the Grammy that year for the best metal performance? Um, the first time was Ghost, and then the second time was Mastodon. So, uh, so I guess you didn't get beat out by it. I mean, they're pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got we got beat out by some 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 big bands. Yeah, for sure. So you know, speaking of you know doing well and going to that next level, like we just talked about, then in 2017, Phantom Anthem comes out, and you guys get another Grammy nomination. So is this yeah. just is this just is this par for the course now? Like, does it even phase you anymore? Oh, I'm definitely. I was definitely still phased. Um, <laughs> yeah, I figured. It, it's it's <laughs> it's never something I expect, and. uh I'm certainly not expecting a, another nomination on Guardians, and I would ne- I would never expect it um, on on anything we ever do. But it, it's an honor, and should it happen again, I'll be certainly grateful and and very excited. We we all would be, but uh, I, I I don't like I don't like to think about it because it's so uh, it's just so out of my control. So, you know, third time is the charm though, right? So, you know, Guardians is coming out. <laughs> There's going to be some talk. I'm sure you guys will at least be, you know, considered for the Grammy nom. Maybe we'll get it this time, man. Not we. I'm, we'll I'm see. putting myself we'll, into you. You'll get it no, this I like time. it. We'll t- we'll, there's always room on the bus. Come, come, come on board. <laughs> well, definitely. Next time you guys are around the Midwest, I'm going to try to make it out. If anybody ever gets to tour ever again, I'll, I'll come out and see it. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm wondering when that's going to happen. Hey, maybe there won't even be a Grammys this year. Because you never know, man. Won't be able to do our, won't be able to do a mass gathering. So we were talking about the whole Christian music thing. You know, when Phantom Anthem came out in 2017, you guys, you know, were on the Billboard Top 200 at number 19. You guys hit number one on the Christian albums. I mean, that's, I know you said you're in a different place now, and I'm sure some of the guys are, I mean, I don't know, some of you guys might not be Christian, some of you might be Christians. Do you guys still kind of feel right being in that scene? Um, there are Christians in the band. There are non-Christians in the band at this point. And, uh, I don't, I'm grateful for anyone who's stayed with us long enough to, um, remember when we were a quote unquote Christian band. Yeah. And I'm not, I, I, I totally respect people for whatever they want to believe in. I don't, I don't care if you are a Christian or, or if you're Buddhist or whatever. Um, and I, and I'm grateful for my Christian upbringing. I feel like it taught me a lot about how to treat other people and um, have good morals and values and and all those sorts of things. But as far as charting on the Christian charts, you know, I, I didn't even know that we charted number one on the Christian charts on Phantom <laughs> Anthem. That, that was kind of off my radar. And um, that's cool. But I feel like yeah. a lot of the th- – there's so many charts, and the only ones that really matter are like, you know, the big ones, like the, yeah. the top 200 and, or, you know, top current albums. That's, that's kind of where I, I, I guess I focus my attention when, when those sorts of lists come out. So, uh, with Phantom Anthem, was that just, I mean, it, it had to feel good to not only, you know, the Grammy nominations are just kind of icing on the cake, but you guys make the move to fearless. You've got two fairly successful records in a row, I'm sure that the anticipation and the expectations for guardians before this whole Corona thing hit, I mean, they're pretty high. Do you guys have like some anxiety about the release, especially now? I'm sure you do. Oh, I have such low expectations for, for, (laughs) you know, charts for this record as a result of the coronavirus. Um, I know what we pre-sold and I kind of don't expect the, uh, 
the first week number to be much bigger than what we've pre-sold. Cause I just don't know how people would buy it. Yeah. Um, so maybe our streaming will be up as a result, but, um, and also the, the like, streaming yeah. and like iTunes and stuff like that, I'm, that all kind of factors into the chart, right? It does now. Yes. Um, streaming gets factored into the, the top 200 list, which is, you know, the, the master list. If you, if you're at the top of that list, you're doing really well. Yeah. But then there's this other list that's called the top current albums, which is a list that is just based on physical sales. Okay. So when, when the, when the top 200 shifted to include streaming, um, bands like mine just don't chart high anymore because streaming is such a huge factor. And the biggest artists in the world are, getting so many millions of streams every week that, um, you know, for us to have a top 10 record again, like we did back in the day on like, uh, I don't even, I guess Phantom Anthem and Final Faraway Places were both, uh, both debuted in the top 10. The, that won't ever happen to us again because we just don't have the fan base yeah. to accrue the streams necessary to get into the, you know, a, a, a high chart on the top 200. Like if we got in the top, 100 of the billboard top 200 i feel like that would be a, a pretty big accomplishment at this point like you guys maybe have the pre-sale the physical copies if people could find where to buy physical copies but since the streaming has entered in there you know you got post malone and people like that that are getting right. a, a billion plays <laughs> or whatever it's crazy yeah it's just a different ball game now the, everything's calculated a little bit differently so it's cool that i can tell my kid that daddy had a top 10 album at one time but uh, I don't, I don't think that's something I'll ever, we'll never have that again moving <laughs> forward. Yeah. Well, Hey, I've got a couple listener questions if you wouldn't mind me and I'll, I'll go ahead and ask you right now, man. Sure. Uh, Kevin from Florida, he wants to know, do you name your guitars? And if so, what are the names? Not particularly. I have a green one that was sort of my go-to for years. Um, that's called the green machine. And I didn't make that up. Someone else said that to me once and I just kind of stuck with it. So I guess my green one, I'll go with the green machine, but like I'm looking at a white guitar right now that is basically the same as the green one, except it's white. And I don't have a name for that. So that's a boring answer. I wish I did have cool <laughs> names for my guitars, but I, I don't really. So I've seen some video of the green guitar and some other guitars you play. What is like, what's your favorite? Are you playing an Ibanez? Is that what it is? Yeah, I'm an Ibanez guy. Um, and my green guitar, they actually made into a signature model um, a couple of years ago, which is cool. It's a pretty loud looking instrument. So I understand that it's not for everyone, but yeah. uh, if, you know, I'm, I, I think that some of our fans who like guitar are, are, are stoked to be able to have a, a version of it. That's awesome, man. Uh, how many guitars do you own? If you don't mind me asking. Hmm. Or like a, like a ballpark the figure. <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to think. Well, if you're you're like me, like every time I come home with a new guitar, because I I teach guitar at a music store and uh, and I'll come home from work because I'll find a good deal. Like someone traded in a Les Paul or something and I'll come home. My wife's like, you can only play one at a time. You don't need 24 guitars. Right. I totally get that feeling. And I I was I just opened my storage closet and I was looking. I have 18 cases here in my storage closet. Wow. Um, And then. I have three upstairs. My mom's borrowing one. She has one of my acoustics. I don't know. I have a lot of guitars, at least 20. And I only play like three of them. (laughs) And and I don't think there's anything wrong with that because like me, my wife also makes fun of me because of how I dress. I've got 1800 band t-shirts and I maybe cycle through five of them every week. (laughs) 
Yeah. I, <laughs> we're hoarders, dude. What's yeah. going on? <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like I had, I have this, uh, my first concert I ever went to was Metallica with a cult opening up on the justice tour. And, oh, wow. and I still have the t-shirt I bought that night and it's got holes all over and it's just a piece of shit, man. I'm like, I'm not going to wear it, but I'm not going to get rid of it. Why would I get that's, rid of it? You know? Yeah. That's such a cool timepiece yeah. as well. Uh, like old, old Metallica tour merch and stuff. That's well, and that's what people I've had. I've had people of- say like, you could sell that on eBay and I'm like, I'm not going to sell my, my shirt. That was the first concert I ever went to. It changed my life, man. Right. That's a, that's a, that's something I would want to hang on to uh, as well. If I were you, <laughs> okay, well, Kevin, thank you so much for the question. I have one more listener question, Christopher from Illinois. He wants to know, do you or your bandmates ever play pranks on each other while on tour? And if so, what was the best one in your opinion? We have this awful prank that we do to each other. It's barely even a prank, but it's, it's something we stole from Paul from between the barrier to me where um, you put your hand down where someone's going to sit in like a claw shape. So, and then if they're not looking, they'll sit down on your hand and you grab their ass and it's really uncomfortable and invasive. <laughs> <laughs> we do that to each other. Um, it's to the point now where we're all so paranoid that before we sit, we all look back at where we're going to sit and look to our left and right and kind of put our hands back and make sure no one's going to try to like sneak their hand in underneath <laughs> us. It, it's, it's bad. And I, I, I always say to our tour manager, Josh, one of my best friends, because um, he, he's one of the easiest people to get with this. And he really he really jumps out of a seat when you get him. So it's, it's very satisfying. But uh, he'll he'll like go to sit down next to me and he'll he'll be looking and making sure my hand's not there. And I like to say to him, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not doing that stuff right now. I'm not doing that stuff right now. And he says, yeah, right now. You're not doing it right now. Because I, I try to act like I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm too good for the game now. I'm over it. But. It, I'm just trying to set them up for it's, it's gotten very difficult for, for us to get each other with this game at this point um, due to the paranoia. So when you do successfully claw someone's ass, it's a pretty big deal. <laughs> Is that what it's called? Clawing someone's ass. Is that the name of the game? I don't know. I'd say it's called the claw. The claw. Maybe. <laughs> just, just the claw. We've never named it. <laughs> okay. well, it's very I, juvenile. Well, yeah, I mean, that's when, when you're on tour, I, I've told my wife many times, you know, when you start touring full time, I think you get stuck in whatever age you are and you don't really mature past that age. So I'm, I'm 41, but in my mind, I think I'm kind of like 22, 23 years old. Yeah, I, I can, I, I, I can totally see where you're coming from with that. It's, it's awesome in some cases and it's probably very frustrating for our spouses in, in some other cases. Yeah. Like I'm an adult. I pay my bills and do what I have to do, but my mind mentally, I, I'm still kind of like early twenties, I think. Right. I, I'm right there with you, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so I've, I've got a little question I'll ask before we kind of tie this thing up. I'm an avid, you know, traveler. I've, I've played all over the place. I, love going to other countries. And I, when I, you know, talk to somebody like you that you guys have done tours everywhere, is there some place that just kind of sticks out to you, maybe a good experience or the fans were great or just somewhere that you can't wait to go back to like other than, you know, North America. Yeah. Um, there's a couple that come to mind, but the, the one that uh, I'll talk about is South Africa. Oh dude, um, I love it. I, we went, we went there for two weeks back in 2009, my favorite place ever. Wow. Yeah. I had an amazing time there. We weren't there for quite that long, but, um, we went for, for two shows. You played a festival in in sort of the middle of nowhere. It was, it was a couple hours from, uh, Johannesburg and we got to stay at a, 
I don't even know what it's called. Like a, like a wildlife resort. Um, it wasn't, no animals were in captive, but it was this fenced off resort. And then if you went outside the fence, it was just the, like, you, <laughs> it was like the jungle book. Like you, <laughs> you could just see zebras and oh, yeah. elephants and you went on, you know, the, the safari, they drive you around and you, you just see all these amazing animals that you never see growing up in, in you know, the United States. So we got to see lions and wildebeests and zebras and giraffes and all this stuff in the wild, which was, you know, it's. Dude, I totally feel it. When, when we went there, we had to do all this press before we got there. And when we got there, the, our tour manager, Nancy gave us all of the press stuff that had come out and Brian my bass player and I had talked so much about being excited to see the wildlife that all of the like headlines on the articles were like the Atari is not just here for the animals. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's totally why you're excited to go. Like, yeah, you're not going to go like, I, obviously it's cool to play shows in new places, but a place like South Africa that offers something so unique to anywhere else that a band would travel. It's, it's gotta be the, the main reason you're excited to go there. Oh, it was awesome, man. Like, are, are you vegetarian or do you eat meat? I eat meat. Did you partake in biltong when you were there? I don't think that I did. It's I, like, I, do you I, know what it is? It's like that really like thick, like different seasoned kind of beef jerky type stuff. Okay. No, I did. I definitely didn't have that. I'm, I'm not a vegetarian, but I, I don't eat red meat at this point in my life, oh, okay. even though I love it. I'm just for ethical reasons, I guess. <laughs> I got you. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, when we were there, our, our tour manager, Nancy, like she picked us up at, at the Joburg airport and she had like this little like gift bag for everybody. And I opened it up and it's got this container. This is Biltong. I'm like, what's Biltong? And it became my favorite thing ever. And I've got oh. so many friends from South Africa that have tried to ship it to me, but you can't ship that kind of stuff. <laughs> so it always oh, gets, it, it always gets like confiscated. And I, I just, I got to make it back down there, man. And there's no way to get it in America. Like no you can, one you makes can make a similar it. product here. I mean, you can go to like Trader Joe's. There are companies that make it, but I like we had home like homemade biltong down there, and they just do something different. I don't know. Right. It's kind of like when uh, you go to California, you have to go to In and Out, right? Sure. Yeah. You, there's <laughs> there's some things that just different regions do better than everywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, uh, I tell you what, I've had you on the line for quite a while. I'm sure you've probably got some other press stuff coming up now that everybody's stuck at home. You're probably doing as much as possible, right? <laughs> we're yeah, we are. We're doing more than I was expecting, but I also feel like a lot of the people who um, are doing podcasts and and writing, you know, for outlets and stuff, also are trying to put stuff out there because everyone is just looking for stuff to yeah. read and listen to right now. So it's, it's, it's good, I guess. Well, I've got a lot of extra episodes on my hard drive. I've even considered doing like, instead of one episode a week, like two or three episodes a week, just so people have something to do because I've got a decent sized listener base and you know, they're not doing any good just sitting on my computer, you know? True. Well, people like, like you were saying about Matt Carter um, earlier with, uh, he does the podcast, which is called labeled, which, um, is about tooth and nail records and their history. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I love that podcast. And, um, I, 
I wish that there were more episodes of that just because I'm through all of them. So I, if you have more, you should totally release them. Man. I'm sure Dude, that would make your fans excited. Speaking about the labeled podcast, like I'm an avid listener as well. The whole like series on under oath, like, cause we toured with those guys when I was playing in that band Brazil, we did some shows with under oath. We did the warp tour with under oath, like listening yeah. to Tim talk about, the rise to fame like the, oh yeah if anybody out that there likes series. yeah anybody out there likes under oath you need to go check out the labeled podcast but plus like the whole idea of you being done with all those episodes i'm done as well there's a lot more production that goes into that because he talks to so many different people and just getting all the music ready to go like that that's a great podcast it really is i wish more labels did podcasts about their history because a lot of the bands on uh, on tooth and nail, I didn't even listen to, um, as a kid, like I didn't come up as a tooth and nail kid or anything, but I find it so fascinating. And I feel like if like fat records did, Oh man, yeah. Uh, history of their label as a podcast, I, that would just be the coolest thing. I feel like more labels should be doing that sort of thing. It's, and just getting to hear from Brandon directly, I think is pretty cool oh, because, yeah. you know, growing up in the punk scene and, you know, like I got into MXPX and different stuff when I was young and there were a lot of Christian bands that I enjoyed and living in Indiana, it was a big part of the culture around here, especially if you're into punk or metal or whatever. And you always kind of had this idea of in your head of what kind of guy Brandon was. Right. <laughs> so right. to get to hear Matt talk to him like every week and like how he feels about everything and how it was being there. It's, it's kind of changed my, per my perspective on what I thought Brandon was all about, you know? Yeah, it's cool to get that inside. Like, it's it's allowed people access where they would have never been able to have it before. I think. Yeah, I love it. And dude, if Fat Records did a podcast, I'd be all over it. <laughs> yeah, I feel like um, Fat Mike from No Effects is. I feel like he just doesn't do a lot of press stuff, so yeah. maybe that wouldn't be something. Not that it's exactly press, but um, I don't know if he. Maybe he probably doesn't even have time to like focus on something like that, but someone else could do it. I mean, it doesn't have to be done by, you know, the owner. Yeah. I've had so many of their artists on this show. Maybe I'll just do it for them. <laughs> you should do You should, you should pitch it. I think there'd be a lot of people, uh, very excited about that. Have you seen, uh, the documentary of fat wreck? No, I haven't. If you have Amazon prime, you got to go check it out. A fat wreck. Their director, Sean, uh, for the, for the documentary was on my show last year. If you like fat records, man, it'll it's, it's amazing. You'd love it. Sweet. I know what I'm watching tonight. Cause I am like out of stuff to watch. Like what, what, at, at night, you know, we'll put the kid to bed. My wife will go read in the bathtub for a while. And I kind of, I'm a big sports guy and I have no sports to watch right now. So I'm sort of watching through whatever I want. And there's not a lot of series that I have wanted to watch on my own yeah. without my wife. So that's definitely something that I'll, I'll queue up. Thanks for I, recommending that. I don't, I don't think that people that aren't married don't understand that because like I'll come home from work one night and she'll be getting ready to go to sleep and there'll be something that we recorded on the DVR that I really want to watch. But since I watch it with my wife, I have to wait till the next day. Yeah. Yeah. You have to wait. <laughs> you have to find something else and there's like nothing else on TV or anything. And I'm just bored shitless, but yeah, this is a difficult time for that. Yeah. It's a totally difficult time, but yeah, make sure to check out a fat wreck, man. It's awesome documentary on Amazon prime. I totally will. Thank you. Thank you for that. Well, I tell you, man, I always ask my guests what they have coming up in the future with this whole pandemic thing. I know that a lot of mm -hmm. the plans are off, but you know, can you tell us anything in the future that will be happening with a band? Well, 
as of the recording of this, which is what March 29th, we're still not canceled to go to Europe in June, but okay. uh, maybe on Monday that will be canceled. I don't know. Tomorrow it, it could all go crumbling down tomorrow. Um, so we have a European tour that is up in the air, but hopefully we get to do it. And then this tour we were supposed to do with kill switch engage, um, is rescheduled currently for later in the year. Um, we're not announcing the dates on that just yet because we, you know, it's a lot of the shows are booked through live nation and there's, there's just a hold on announcing stuff right now due to the uncertainty. Um, we have a lot of touring planned. I don't know how much we'll get to do. Like we're, we're booked into 2021 already, probably like through the first quarter of 2021. I know exactly where we're supposed to be and when we're supposed to be playing, but, uh, I don't know if the shows will happen. Fingers crossed. We we're, we're itching to get back out there. I know everyone wants to return to normal life as soon as possible. So hopefully, hopefully there's a miracle and someone gets the vaccine like much quicker than they're expecting. That's, that's kind of what I'm hoping. Well, I can't wait till you guys come back around Indiana. I'll be there front row checking it out, man. I love you guys. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for having me on the show, dude. Yeah, no problem. Hey, before you get out of here, uh, do you want to promote your socials for like yourself and the band? Sure. Um, on Twitter, I'm at JB Brubaker, just my, my name on Instagram. I'm uh, at JB Burns Red. And the band is on Instagram at August Burns Red and at August Burns Red on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook, all the usual places. Not too hard to find. So awesome. check us out if you'd like. And I, I, I've heard the new record in its entirety. Uh, your publicist sent it to me and everybody else will get to hear it on April 3rd. And it's, it's a stellar record. And uh, if I had anything to say about it, you guys would get the Grammy this year. Oh, that's the nicest thing anyone said to me. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I really appreciate you coming on the show today. And in the future, if you have anything else coming out or if you guys have some plans or whatever, when all this pandemic goes away, come back and hang out with us again. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'd love to. Thank you so much for having me on. Awesome. I'll talk to you later, man. Have a great night. All right. See you, Chris. So there it was. My conversation with JB Brubaker from August Burns Red. I had a great time speaking with JB, and I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, He has hit me up a couple times since we did this interview. I didn't give any context. The interview was like back at the end of March, beginning of April, right when the record was coming out. But uh, we talked so much on there about punk rock and fat records and everything that uh, he finally watched the documentary of Fat Wreck, and he was texting me and telling me, oh, dude, this documentary is so awesome. So uh, I think it's really cool that Sometimes I feel alone that I'm this punk rock guy, but I love metal. And most of the guitar stuff that I do is a little more metallic. And then you got guys like JB who are in the craziest shreddy, you know, metalcore band ever, but he's love, he loves big wig and he loves no effects and strung out and all these bands. So shout out to JB. Thank you so much for being on the program. And we will definitely have you back in the future. And I hope you're doing well in the quarantine, man. I see these playthrough videos that you're doing all the time. So I hope you and your family are doing well. And I hope that all of you listeners out there, you and your families are doing well. I want to know what you're doing to pass the time. What are you doing while in quarantine? Hit me up and let me know. We're on all the socials at TOTOT podcast. Okay. So thank you guys so much for coming back week in and week out. Please, if you want to help the show out, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. It goes a long way for helping us gain visibility and getting us some more listeners, getting in front of people that want to check this stuff out. 
Like I said before, hit us up on the socials. Let me know what you're doing during the quarantine. Also, if you have guest suggestions or anything else, TOTOTpodcast at gmail.com is the email. That is also how you can sponsor an episode if you're a band or if you have a company and you want to get involved. Hit me up and we will take care of it. So next week on the program, it is a good one. It's kind of a bucket list kind of thing, man. I had Billy Gold from Faith No More. Yes, that Faith No More. It did. What is it? It did. What is it? Epic, man. Come on. You remember Epic, the video with the fish flopping around? Faith No More, man. I've been listening to Faith No More since I was, God, I don't even know, seventh grade, eighth grade, something like that. Went and saw Metallica one time and Faith No More opened up. We talk about it on the podcast. It was kind of, it was a lot of fun talking to Billy. He made me feel very good. I didn't fanboy out as much as I normally do. So next week on the show, Billy Gold of Faith No More. He also has this really cool, like, kind of soundscape scoring, movie scoring type thing that just came out called The Talking Book. So uh, we talk about that as well. And I'll play a little bit of that next week, as well as a really cool, awesome Faith No More song. So. I'm going to jump out of here, but I always play music. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to play the first single from the new August Burns Red record, Guardians, out on Fearless Records. This song is called Paramount. I will see you guys next time. Stay safe. Wear your mask. Wash your hands. Stay the fuck at home. And I'll catch you later. This is Chris. Peace. Oh, yeah.
Alice Lenny, and I see you last quarter after. <laughs> This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now.